Uh, Happy New Year, Steve. First you time too. I've seen you since the turning of the of the calendar. <laughs> the turning of the year. So yes. do you uh, do resolutions? Do you do what? What happens in your world at New Year? <laughs> well, I do that message every week, right? That weekend. You do. It's just I, fun. you know, I don't write them down because I guess I don't want to be accountable to anything. <laughs> But I do things. I mean, yeah. it's constantly, there's a book called Atomic Habits that talks about just stacking and adding things. So I'm always just trying to add some little thing to something I'm already doing. That's and good. so I do it and I, uh, I'm a pretty disciplined person in that way. I don't necessarily write things down, but. Uh, <laughs> I like that. You know, yeah, so it's always it's new I'm kind things. of the same way. I don't do like full blown resolutions, but just little tweaks, right? Yeah. Just little tweaks. Yeah. So. Anyway, whatever you do, if you make resolutions, if you do little tweaks or nothing at all, we're just happy to have you here to start this series that you introduced last week yes. called The Seven Yeses. It is based on this book that you brought up here by yeah. Mike Foster called The Seven Primal Questions. I've had a lot of people ordering already. They say, or, uh, we should put like a, a QR code up we there. We should. You get a cut something. from this? Yeah. I, 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 no. No, you don't. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the book. And I want to encourage you, if any of you are interested, buy the book. I, I think there's a Kindle and there's Audible. But the way he put the book together, it's very accessible. And it's yeah. actually something you can go through with your spouse, with your kids, with friends, and just walk through it yeah. the way he did, it's very accessible. So yeah, The Seven Primal Questions it's by Mike Foster. accessible, it's easy, it's well-organized, and these seven questions are questions that all of us have. Yes. And the goal is for all of us to get to seven yeses to these questions, but there could be a, what's called an apex question, something right. that's most important to us. Yeah, because what that apex question is, is somehow a question that either really didn't get answered or you feel it didn't get answered. So where the other ones might have been answered more, there's one oftentimes from your upbringing, oftentimes for what you have faced in your life that you feel like you just didn't get the yes answer. That becomes one you're, you're trying to get a yes to, right. whether it be consciously or subconsciously. So let's talk about the first one. Yes. The first one is, am I safe? Or am I safe? Am I safe? Now, this is truly, in, in my mind, the absolute most foundational question that any living creature has. Even single-cell amoebas have mechanisms yeah. in that cell to keep it safe, right? And here we are, the most advanced living creatures on Earth. We have very complex mechanism to keep us safe. So if that answer becomes shaky, or if that answer is even a no, I don't think I'm safe, our whole life can be defined by this question. Yeah, you, know, you said that last, I, yeah. when you said I thought of like, you know, geckos, right? They change colors right. to be safe, so they, <laughs> they can't get captured. But yeah, and, and there's a primal experience with, with every one of these questions. So if, if you happen to be someone, or you know someone, or your spouse is someone that maybe came from an abusive home, right alcoholism, places where you were doom and gloom and always pointing out negativity. the bad negativity, that can create an unsafe, you know, a, a, a no or a maybe to that question. And so as you get going in life, that those younger years are very, very formative to subconsciously or consciously feeling like you're safe or not. And not even sometimes knowing it, that what you're striving for is safety in your marriage or in relationships or in situations, whether it be physically or emotionally and relationally. Yeah. And it could have some traumatic effects on you right. if you're not getting that yet. So let's talk about the traumatic effects. Because with any personality trait or personality test, there's always this sense that, okay, well, this is kind of how I'm wired based on my experience or chemistry or right. genetics. This is how I'm wired. Um, it's not bad. It, yes. If you struggle answering yes to this question, it's not bad. It's just your unique story, your yeah. unique experience, your unique wiring. But knowing that that's a vulnerability for you, that you have a hard time getting to the yes, there are some challenges, you know, what are uh, blind spots, but there's also some good qualities to this as well. So Steve, you've done a, a lot of 
kind of studying into this, what are some of the challenges yeah. and good things that come as a result of somebody struggling yeah. with this question? Well, the challenge a lot of times is anxiety, a focus on a fear-based focus, always thinking this relationship isn't going to be secure, it's not safe, and so you're, you know, and that can cause you to build up walls. It could cause you to respond in ways. What's interesting is I've been walking with people, people that have this safety as their, as their primal question, oftentimes it comes off to their spouse as their spouse. They just want all the attention. But what you're identifying is when they don't feel safe, they begin to build up walls. It causes them to push back. They begin to become a little bit more controlling and, and they're afraid. They're, they're afraid of what's gonna happen. Like this, this is not a safe relationship. And it, when that starts happening within your marriage, it could really come out. Now, at the same time, oftentimes people with this question, they bring healing to other people. They are so aware of other people that might've gone through abuse or, or gone through traumas and, and have unsafe situations. They're all in with other people. They bring a lot of healing. They bring a lot of safety. They're right there. They're walking alongside. So like, like we said last week, it's not about fixing anything. Right. It's about identifying and understanding where some of your pitfalls are. You got to be careful. Uh, I would say if this is your primal question, don't watch the news too much, <laughs> right? You could become a news junkie and, and a doom and gloom. And, and it, it takes that you, yeah, that that's safe. feeding that. Begin to trust when you have someone that doesn't, isn't an understanding that maybe your spouse, your family, your kids, you're safer than you think, you know, uh, because, you know, you just, and, and begin to risk a little and begin to trust a little bit more and talk about it, you know, and that's the big thing. Talking about it's huge. It helps so much for your spouse or your kids or friends to identify and to understand so you can begin to have that healthy yes. You and you know? do that a lot in your own, you know, uh, counseling, the pastoral yes. counseling that you do is yeah. you walk a lot of families through this and a lot of couples through this because when you can begin to identify that, yes, this is my apex question, your spouse knows it, maybe even your kids know, know it. Yeah. You mentioned last uh, week, yeah. a great message last week, if you haven't checked it out, that even with your kids to walk through something like this, we can kind of speak each other's language and know what each other needs. Yeah. It can open up a whole new world. So yeah. Steve, thank you yeah. very much. You're man. welcome. I appreciate thank you. It. And uh, we'll be seeing you, I think, just about every week of this series. Oh. So yeah, get ready <laughs> well, for Well, I'm finding All that right. out today. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here are a couple of questions for you uh, to figure out whether this question, am I safe, might be your apex question. So here's a couple of questions for you. Resist the temptation to answer this for the person sitting next to you. None of your business. All right, here we go. Do you think about how things could go wrong often? Have you been the victim of abuse, betrayal, or tragedy? If that's you, you likely may have trouble feeling safe. Do you fear that harm will come to you or your family? Do you think you are unsafe in public? So when you go outside, is there a little bit of anxiety about places you're going and people you might be around? Are you afraid of God's judgment or the afterlife? So maybe you were raised in a church that talked about kind of God watching you and God judging you and you need to believe the right things and do the right things. If you answer yes to these questions or some of these questions, and if they tend to be sort of in the forefront of your mind that this just might be your apex question. You live your life through the lens of am I safe? And there's probably this nagging sense sometimes or often that no, you actually may not be safe. It is important that all of us get to a yes to this question. Am I safe? The answer is 
yes and needs to be yes here. It needs to be yes in our emotions. It needs to be yes to give us confidence to live life, to live life well and unburdened, right? Listen to what God says in Psalm 91. This is, this is God's word to a songwriter here who was struggling. In fact, most of the Bible is written during times of struggle. So if you wanna know how to manage struggle, read any part in any page in the Bible and you're probably gonna you know, get to a bingo there. The Bible is just replete with problems and challenges and struggles and, and wars and disappointments and failures. And listen to the comfort that comes from God here. First, it talks about a tenderness, like a hen wrapping her arms around her, her vulnerable chicks. But then it goes right to, but God will also defend you like a warrior, right? Listen to this. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. Beautiful, tender care and protection of God toward us. Then it goes right to the hard uh, you know, protection. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night or the arrows that fly in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in the darkness nor the disaster that strikes at midday. In the middle of trying times, this word from God says, you're safe, I am here, I'm gonna protect you. Not that every circumstance, every time will go the way you want, but in every circumstance and in every time, God covers us, he covers us with his presence, he covers us with his grace, and he says to us, you're gonna be okay, you're gonna be okay. So let's get to the yes, am I safe, yes. Now, as I mentioned earlier, every living creature has built-in mechanisms to seek safety. That's why we're still alive, right? Again, from the single cell, there's mechanisms to keep that cell safe to the most advanced creature on earth, which is you, right? Congratulations. You've got sophisticated mechanisms to keep you safe. If our body and our brains were not wired to keep us safe, we would not be here today, right? So it's a, it is the foundational question, am I safe? Your body is wired, hardwired to keep you safe. That's for all of us. Now, in addition, some of you might have uh, a chemical propensity to see more threats than others. Because of your wiring, the way your, your brain works, you are wired to scan more for threats and maybe respond in a more heightened way to threats. That's just your lucky wiring, right? But then there's also some of you that have jobs that require you to be hyper aware of threats. If you're a first responder, law enforcement, firefighter, a medical professional, uh, and there are other professions um, as well that work in the field of, you know, kind of threat analysis and threat response, you are more hardwired to see threats because that's your job. You're in it 40 plus hours a week and your brain's constantly being wired. Every day that you see threats, manage threats, deal with threats, your brain is being wired to see that this world may not be a safe world. In addition, you might have had real threats to your safety growing up. If you've had real threats to your safety growing up, this probably is your apex question. It could be that you grew up in poverty and if you grew up in poverty and science is all over this, it does something to young kids becoming adults. Your whole world is seen through this sense that I may not be safe in this world. I might have to struggle for food. I might have to struggle for warmth. I might have to struggle for clothing, just the basics. It could be that there were real threats to your physical well-being, emotional well-being. It could be that there was abuse, that there was addiction in, in your family, um, and that has hardwired you to see this world as unsafe. It could be that you were raised in a religious environment where you were threatened basically by God. And this is normal religious upbringing. This isn't even unusual. This is like a good percentage of the world 
raised even in formative years in churches, God is watching you and he demands that you believe all the right stuff. He demands that you live the right way. And if not, he's gonna judge you, he's gonna discipline you, he might even punish you to eternal conscious torture. We teach children that. We teach adults that, it's insane. We threaten people with God. And so there's this whole sense that I'm not even safe with God. I mean, it's wild how the whole world is sort of postured to fear, right? Now, some of these fears as a child might be imagined. Some of them even as adults might be imagined. When I was three years old, I had this very vivid dream that I can remember every detail of to this very day. I'm 54 years old to this very day. I have this very vivid uh, you know, mental picture of the dreams that I had when I was three years old. Terrifying. My closet door, which is just to my left, would open and a whale would come out of my closet and eat me. Three years old. Thanks for laughing at me. I appreciate that. The, the, the trauma is just now deepening. <laughs> Very vivid, repeated dream. For months and months and months, my poor parents, God bless them, would have to come to my bedside, open the closet, open the closet again, open the closet, there's no whale in your closet, open it again. I mean, three years old, I can remember it in vivid detail to this very day, so totally imagined, right? But then, you know, of course, sadly, there are some threats that are very real. Um, my upbringing in, involved a parent who was an alcoholic and the fighting that went on in my household, the screaming, the throwing things, hearing things that children shouldn't hear, and then threats of divorce. They were separated multiple times and um, this feeling that I'm not safe in this house and my family is not safe. What's gonna happen going forward? So many of you have experienced the exact same thing. This does something to us that says, I don't think I'm safe. And again, if you were raised in a religious environment that was threatening you with the judgment of God, that creates a whole formative year thing. And then, you know, of course, some of you very, very sadly have experienced terrible abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse as a child or even as an adult experiencing a terrible trauma. And if we've experienced that kind of trauma, the body responds because the body basically says, I'm not gonna be hurt again. The body will do whatever it needs to do not to be hurt again. So there's these mechanisms that we you know, now have diagnosed as PTSD, post-traumatic uh, stress disorder, which is essentially the body saying, we will do whatever it takes not to get hurt again. Even if it involves very dysfunctional, even harmful things that we're doing to ourselves, I'm not gonna get hurt like that again because the body's wired for safety. Now, there's also the reality that there are three industries that peddle danger. Let me rant for 30 seconds. I've ranted before and I will rant again. The industry of news media, politics, and religion make their money on making you afraid. And so many people buy into it. They buy into it. I've got my politician because the other side is gonna destroy everything. Okay, you need to vote for me so I could save you from the evil of them. And it works. And religion is the same way. It's like the world is going to hell in a handbasket. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And the end times are coming and Armageddon is coming and you need me to tell you the truth, right? And so give us your money because we're the ones that are right and we're the ones getting off this rock and some rapture. I mean, it's just, it's an industry and every religion is sort of postured the same way. We are the saviors. We know what's right and they don't. Peddling, peddling, peddling fear, peddling danger. News media We're addicted to the danger. We're addicted to the threat. 
If there is a, a news program on whatever channel that says, hey, good news only channel, goodnews.com, nobody's watching. It's been tried. It's, I mean, their latest effort uh, was great high production. Nobody cared. Nobody cares about good news. If it bleeds, it leads. If it dies, it flies. We are going to watch the bad news. That's how we're wired. So we're attracted to it, right? Like moths to a, a flame, we are attracted to bad news, and these industries make their money peddling fear, 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 danger, 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 threat, 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 which only then fuels the anxiety that we already have. Uh, so here's the net result of all this, is we live afraid. We live afraid. Now for some of you, it's like, hey, yeah, that's every day. All day, every day, I've got kind of anxieties around fear and I don't feel safe, and I see danger everywhere for me, for my kids, for my family, for my future, for the country, for both. It's just constant, 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 afraid, afraid, afraid. And this might be your apex question. But for all of us, to some degree, we don't feel safe because we're absorbing news and politics and religion and maybe because we've had some experiences in our life that hurt and we don't wanna be hurt again. So all of us have this question. We just all need to keep walking to the yes. Am I safe? Yes. Listen to 1 John 4.18, one of my life verses and a verse that fuels Rancho. Love expels all fear. Love expels all fear. And that Greek word expels is like a, out of a cannon. God does not want fear anywhere in our direction. He doesn't want us to experience fear. He doesn't want us to absorb fear. He doesn't want us to live in fear. He wants that fear expelled. And what expels fear? Love, 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 the love of God, the love of family, the love of friends, the love of community. Love catapults fear away from us. If we're afraid, it shows that we have not fully experienced perfect love. God wants us free from fear. He does not want us to live afraid. But there are real risks out there, aren't there? There are real risks in this world, right? There are some bad people who do some bad things. Accidents do happen. There are medical diagnoses. Those are real and can't be ignored. So here's the question. Now what? There are real risks out there, so now what? How do we respond to those risks? I'm gonna give you three options. I'm going to give you the cheat sheet. I'd recommend the third, all right? So let's go through this. What's the response to real threats? Well, one response is worst case thinking. Worst case thinking is a response to the real threats that are out there in the world. Now, for those of you who have this question, am I safe, as your apex question, you are prone to worst case thinking. The psychological term for that is catastrophizing. You tend to catastrophize things. You tend to catastrophize things that aren't catastrophes, but you make them catastrophes in your brain. Um, that is your defense mechanism. That's your body trying to keep itself safe by over, you know, realizing threats that are largely imagined, right? Catastrophizing. So your brain is sort of like a smoke detector, right? You got a smoke detector at your house. And uh, if you're just living your life around your house and the smoke detector goes on, beep, 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 beep. Uh, there might be those of us who say, ah, who's the uh, jabroni who burnt the toast, right? Our first response is somebody burned the toast. Who did that, right? If you are more wired to believe you're not safe, that smoke detector goes off, beep, 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 beep. House is on fire, we're all gonna die. It's just whatever our response is, right? If we're, if we're a safety person or don't feel safe, we're gonna go right to the worst case thinking. We're always gonna think the worst case. Uh, you may be enjoying a perfectly good day out there, 
good day, good weather, good family. Your brain is thinking something's going wrong. That person's gonna get us. This person's, something's gonna happen. You're gonna see the negative in things. You're gonna look for the threats. That's worst case thinking. And, and you know this, right? This is not to, to lecture anybody. This is just to say if we're living in the worst case thinking, we are traumatizing ourselves over nothing. Because if we are thinking the worst case, that means in our mind we're living the worst case. We've imagined a worst case scenario and we're living in the actual fear of that even though it will never happen. So we're creating trauma the more we invent worst case scenarios. And not only that, we're robbing us of enjoying this very day and this very moment. That's what worst case thinking does. Um, men and women can both be prone to this, but this is pretty strong uh, in the maternal instinct, right? The maternal instinct. So mothers who are you know, called by God and have this just divine calling to pr provide for, protect their, their little most vulnerable children, right? That came from their womb and feed on their breast. I mean, it is this maternal instinct that is so, so strong. And so it's part of our natural wiring, not only to keep ourselves safe, but to keep our kids safe and to kind of scan threat, 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 threat. This can result in worst case thinking. Proverbs 423 says, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Just a caution. Thoughts run our lives. Our actual life doesn't run our life. The things that happen in our life don't actually run our lives. It's our thoughts that run our lives. Because let's be honest, very few things actually happen in life. I mean, there's stuff that happens every day and there's family and there's work and there's things we do but life is lived between our ears. Life is lived in our thoughts, and this thing never stops. I mean, I think I'm normal, but I don't know that to be true. Uh, I am talking to myself all day, all day. The only difference between me and a person we would think is you know, crazy on the streets is I just don't say it out loud, but I am talking to myself all day, every single day. And this thing goes and goes and goes and always thinking, 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 processing, processing, processing. Even when we sleep, the mind doesn't shut off. It still goes and goes and goes and dreams and dumb stuff and takes, I mean, it's wild, this three pound ball of jelly in our brains, right? Beautiful gift of God, but it can get way out of hand if we allow ourselves to sink into this thought that I may not be safe. So worst case thinking is, is not a good thing. So what's the opposite of worst case thinking? Best case thinking, good job, very brilliant today. Best case thinking, I don't think that's the way to go either. Now, if you're a best case thinker, everybody's kind of jealous of you because you, you come across like, everything's gonna be good, it's gonna be all great, some bad news comes, ah, it's gonna be fine, ah, it's gonna be fine. It'll all work out, right? And people who are high stress really don't like you, let's just be honest. Best case thinkers really annoy worst case thinkers. Worst case thinkers really annoy best case thinkers. And if you're married to each other, <laughs> God help, heaven help. It's, <laughs> we got an answer. It is hard, not impossible, but really, really hard. And you need to go see Steve. He'll walk you through all this. Go see a therapist, seriously, you need it all. Um, because we're just not communicating, right? And, and, and for, a, for a, a worst case thinker, the most innocuous thing can be taken as a, as a threat, right? And the, and the terrible thing can be taken for, by the best case thinker as, oh, it's no big deal. And so the best case thinker comes across like he, she doesn't care about anything. Worst case thinker, it can be said, well, he or she thinks the sky's falling every minute of every day. So it's hard to connect, right? It's really hard to connect. Now, I don't think best case thinking is the way to go because best case thinkers 
can be a little bit naive about the realities of pain and suffering in the world. Maybe best case thinkers haven't really gone through something truly tragic. And so they may not have a lot of empathy. They just kind of have these platitudes, kind of cliche stuff, but haven't really lived the hard stuff of life. And I don't think best case thinkers are all that prepared for when something really happens, right? Um, Proverbs 14, 16 says this, the wise are cautious and avoid danger. Fools plunge ahead with reckless confidence. All you worst case thinkers are saying, see, it's biblical to be worst case thinkers. I got a buddy who, uh, for Christmas, got uh, some family electric bikes. You know those electric bikes? Um, They're not motorcycles, but they go fast. And this friend of mine uh, happens to be a motorcycle rider, motocross rider, and he took the family bike, and he thought, oh, it'll be fine. It's just like a motorcycle. I do this all the time. And uh, the wife says, honey, you should wear a helmet. And what did he say? Ah, it's going to be fine. I ride motorcycles. This is just an electric bike doing wheelies in front of his kids, overshot, overcorrected, face planted on asphalt, and he has, I'm not gonna show you the picture. It's awful. His entire face is just like hamburger. That's a best case thinker. (laughs) Oh, it's gonna be fine. It's gonna be great. Let's just go for it. I don't think that is exactly why. So I don't think we should walk the worst case thinking. I don't think we should walk the best case thinking. I invented something you could take or leave. Um, We're gonna talk about grace-based thinking. That's how we'll close our time today. Grace-based thinking. You only need grace when the world's not quite right. So grace-based thinking recognizes that the world still has some inherent risks. It still has some inherent problems, right? We need grace. The world's not perfect. The world has challenges. There are risks out there. But we're gonna approach this all with grace. And we follow Jesus who installed an entire worldview of grace-based thinking. And he did so during times of some pretty good threats. Jesus himself was threatened. Jesus himself lived under threat. He was born under threat, raised under threat, under the Roman Empire that had occupied them and harshly abused and mistreated with incredible oppression and injustice, the Jewish people. And so here's Jesus raised in oppression And here he is spending his entire life serving people in need, healing people in need, freeing people who are lost and broken. I mean, walking alongside the most marginalized people, all he did was live a life of love. And a life of love happens to challenge religious leaders who tend not to be loving and political leaders who tend not to be loving. So every religious and political power came after Jesus, falsely arrested him, falsely um, uh, imprisoned him, falsely tried him, tortured him and murdered him on the cruelty of the cross. That's what Jesus was facing, real profound risk, real profound risk. And just hours before his crucifixion, he gathers his disciples together who were also afraid. And he said this, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. He just says it. The world's not perfect. There are risks out there. But take heart because I've overcome the world and I've told you this so that you may have peace in me. He's facing real threat. This isn't some, oh, it's gonna be all right, it's all gonna be great, it's all gonna be peaceful. And no, he's, no, you will have trials, there will be sorrow, but even in the middle of that, you can be at rest, you can be at peace, you can experience calm, you can actually experience a sense of safety because he says, I'm walking this with you. 
I'm walking this alongside you. And he even says, I'm walking this within you, inside of you. So here's what Jesus says in John chapter 14. Again, as he's facing the cross, he says, I'm gonna give you a comforter. I'm gonna give you my spirit. My spirit will be with you in everything. My spirit will be in you in everything. And you can have peace no matter what you are going through. You can have peace. You can feel calm. You can feel at ease. You can feel safe. John 14, verse 16, Jesus says, facing the cross, I will ask the Father and he will give you an advocate who will never leave you. He says, I'm gonna give you my Holy Spirit. And I don't know which religious background you were raised in or what opinions you have about the Holy Spirit, but basically all you need to know is the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ in us, the Spirit of Christ in relationship with our spirit. Now, I can't map that out for you. I can't you know, explain all the science behind that, but what I can tell you is something very obvious. We do not need to be in the presence of one another to have a relationship. Uh, my wife was not in the last service. She ditched the last service. Can you imagine? She wasn't here the last service. Does that mean I did not have a relationship with my wife during the last service? I have a powerful and profound relationship with my wife, whether or not she's in my presence. We have a history together. We made promises together. We have in some beautiful, mysterious, you can call it spiritual way, I have a deep and powerful relationship with my wife of 30 years, regardless of whether she's here or not. She's in my thoughts, she's on my mind, right? We're inseparable, whether she's here or not. Now she happens to be here, so that's bonus, right? Same thing with God. God isn't here physically. He was here through Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He showed us many wonderful things, but Jesus says, I'm, I'm leaving, but I'm gonna send you my spirit. We have a relationship with God, whether or not he's physically here, the way you have a relationship with someone you love who may not be physically here. It's real, it's powerful, it's profound. A relationship with God by his spirit who will never leave you. He goes on to say, I will not abandon you as orphans and I will come to you by my spirit. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will live also. We see God in spirit every time we pray, every time we think of God, just the very thoughts of God right now, spirit-to-spirit relationship. Every time you pray, spirit-to-spirit relationship. Whether you acknowledge it or not, God is with you and always for you and loves you more than you can ever possibly know. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift. I'm leaving you with a gift of peace of mind and peace of heart. Even though Jesus was facing crucifixion, he says, peace of mind, peace and heart. I am with you. You can feel safe. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. If you want to experience peace and safety, know that God is more gracious than I think. Say that to yourself. God is more gracious than I think. This world has troubles, this world has sorrows, but God is more gracious than I think. If you were taught that God is a judge and watching over you and very much concerned about whether you believe all the right things and live the right way, get that out of your brain. That is an unsafe way of thinking. Jesus says God is your father and he loves you. You're his perfect daughter, his perfect son. He only sees the best in you, does not see the worst in you, does not see the mistakes, they're gone, they're forgiven. They don't. Your mistakes don't even register in God's mind. He only sees you as perfect. Read Ephesians chapter one. Just takes five minutes, it'd be great. Get that unsafe thought out of your head. God is more gracious than I think. He's more gracious than I've been taught. I love this Psalm, Psalm 94. It's in, again, the context of troubles. The songwriter says, I cried out, I'm slipping. Have you ever had that feeling, that circumstance, that relationship that wasn't going right? I'm slipping, I'm slipping. My mind is slipping. My spirit, my emotions are slipping. But 
Your unfailing love, O Lord, supported me. When doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. Renewed hope and cheer. Even though there's things in my life that can drag me down to this place that says I'm not safe, do you see the, the mind turn here, the shift? But God, you love me in an unfailing way. Remember 1 John, perfect love casts out, expels all fear. God loves you. He's more gracious than you think. And that'll give you renewed hope and cheer. There's something else to think about, and you probably will not believe me. I've spent a lot of my career trying to convince the world of this to no avail. This world is more gracious than I think. This world is more gracious than I think. Now, I would never say that to somebody who is truly suffering in a moment. It's not the time or the place. I wouldn't say this to the people of Gaza, to the people of Israel. I wouldn't say this to the people of Ukraine, right? People who are really going through it. Personal tragedy, global tragedy, There's a time and a place. Big, big picture though, this world is more gracious than we think. And this is a tough one for us to process because when we absorb so many political messages and religious messages and news media and social media feeds, it's just bad, 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 threat, threat, threat. That's how everybody's making their money. And so we've convinced ourselves maybe that the world is a threatening place when it's not as threatening as we think. This world is more gracious than we think. Let me show you a a picture here. Picture of a lightning strike. I actually had a a stock photo that I loaded today and David said, I actually took a real picture of like real lightning and he replaced it without permission. And I love it. Good job, Dave. Lightning. Now, that's a real threat. Lightning is a real threat. Um, On average, one American per day is struck by lightning. One American per day is struck by lightning. There's about 300, I don't know, 50, 60 million of us in America. One person per day is struck by lightning. Did you also know that 90% of people who are struck by lightning live? That's remarkable to me. Human body's amazing. 90% of people struck by lightning live, which means the threat of you dying today in America by a lightning strike is one in three billion, right? That's just the stats, one in three billion. And really the only way to die from a lightning strike is to do something incredibly irresponsible, like during a lightning storm, go on a roof and lift up a rod. I would not suggest doing that. Those are the people who are the best case thinkers. Oh, this is gonna be great. (laughs) But there's a threat of lightning strikes, right? Now, what are we gonna do with that threat? Well, we can live today. We could choose to live today as though lightning is an imminent risk and gonna get us. There's a few clouds this morning, a little bit of rain this morning. Southern California, so we're panicking. Um, but it's, lightning is possible, and I'm gonna just dart from here to here, and this shelter to this shelter, and every time I'm in open spaces, I don't, I, you know, we can live today afraid of lightning. You have a one in three billion chance of dying from lightning today, so you can live in fear if you want. I would not suggest in a lightning storm putting a rod above your head, so we're not gonna do that. But how about we live today thinking, you know what? Today, right now, I'm gonna be fine. Today, right now, I'm safe from lightning. That makes sense? We're gonna decide today, right here, even though there's a risk, today I'm gonna live my life as though I'm safe from a lightning strike. Now, there are other lightning strikes out there. There are some bad people who do some bad things every once in a while. There are medical diagnoses and accidents happen. And those are other lightning strikes out there. But how are we gonna live today Today, can we just enjoy the day? And can, day, can today we can just say, today's not a day I'm likely gonna be struck by lightning. 
So why not enjoy today? Why do I have to live in fear today when today and right now I am safe? Why not enjoy the safety of right now? Why not enjoy the safety of God's wings covering us and God's armor protecting us today? A challenge might come, as Jesus said, in this world there will be trials and sorrows. But right now, today, I'm safe and I'm gonna put a smile on my face and I'm gonna enjoy today, right? And if we lived that way, we are gonna live free from timidity. We're gonna live free from fear. We're gonna live free from answering no to the question, am I safe? And that no, over time, as we retrain our minds, really embrace the safety of today. I am safe today and safe right now, and I'm gonna enjoy today, enjoy my family, and enjoy that God is with me through it all, and he's always for me and never against me, and he loves me and he's proud of me. Today, I'm gonna live a safe day. That's pretty fun. And then finally, I could be more gracious than I think. God's more gracious than I think. The world's more gracious than I think. And I can be more gracious than I think. When we live in fear, we can only look at ourselves. That's how the body is wired. If, we're, if we think there's a threat toward us, all we can think about is us and our safety. If the answer to the question, am I safe, is no, you can only think about yourself. Not to be judgmental, it's just the way the body's wired. It's gotta be safety first or nothing else matters. But if that no can become a yes, am I safe? Yes. Am I safe? Yes. Am I safe right here, right now? Yes. Am I safe in the presence of God who loves me? Yes. Am I safe in this world that's more gracious than I think? Yes. Am I safe with God who's more gracious than I was taught? Yes. When you feel safe, your eyes can then look at the world around you. And for those of you whose apex question is, am I safe? You are the ones who are gonna bring safety to others you are the ones who are gonna be very compassionate because you're gonna notice when other people don't feel safe and you're gonna notice when other people hurt and you're gonna notice when other people go through things, how they feel, what it feels like to be afraid, what it feels like to be unsafe. And because you've gone through that and turned that no to a yes, you are gonna turn other people's no into their yes because you're gonna make them feel safe. You're gonna make them feel safe in your presence. You're gonna show them the safety of God. You're gonna let them know the world around them is safe and you're safe now and enjoy it. You're the ones gonna bring healing to this world and we thank God for you. I am going to close in a, a prayer that's gonna come from the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus was talking to people who did not feel safe. The world around them was in great danger but he was giving them a sense of safety by the presence of God and the provision of God in their lives then we're gonna close in a song that is just a rancho favorite called um, You Say and just believing what God says about us and how safe we are in his presence. For those of you who have this question as your apex question, are you safe? You might wanna close your eyes and you might wanna just hear the words of Jesus over your life as we pray this. Jesus says, do not worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. 
And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, he certainly will care for you. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear, what will the future bring? Your heavenly Father already knows all you need, so seek him first, enjoy him first. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, enjoy today.